Why pay your hard-earned money to join an organization that fought tooth and nail for a government-run healthcare system, one that scripted portions of White House speeches behind closed doors to ensure the passage of the Affordable Care Act, the organization that stood against tax cuts for middle-class Americans and small business owners? You know, that's AARP. Join AMAC instead, the conservative alternative. AMAC offers the same kinds of money-saving benefits of AARP without the liberal agenda. Become an AMAC member right now at amac.us slash buck. AMAC fights for your values, protecting our borders by enforcing common sense immigration laws, supporting small business, and standing up for your individual God-given freedoms. AMAC is the way to go. Stand with AMAC as they fight the good fight by becoming a member today. The benefits are great, but the cause is even greater. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. AMAC is better, better for you, better for America. You are entering the Freedom Hut. Booming job numbers for Trump and the Democrats look like they need excuses, not just on that, but also for his latest actions with regard to Russia. We'll talk about that and where the negotiations over the wall stand. And will Roger Stone be silenced by the statists who are chasing after him? That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Break it down for us. What do these numbers mean? They mean that the economy is still going strong and that actually... Mm -hmm. Employers aren't really phased by the shutdown. I'll just point you to the private payrolls number. They increased by almost 300,000. So that means while the government was partially shut down, companies didn't hesitate to hire. It did not shake confidence. If you look at all of last year, and we are coming off a bumper year for job creation, the average per month for private employment was in the twos. This number is higher than the average for every month of last year. So no, I would say no effect really in terms of a confidence hit in terms of hiring for private employers as a result of the shutdown. If the other party got into office, instead of being up and having these phenomenal 304,000 jobs added, and we had so many great months, and you know, it's been a little bit tricky because I'm in the middle of some very big trade deals, which is disruptive before you make it. But after you make it, those deals are much better than they were before. I don't even mean much better. I mean better like nobody's ever seen before. We're the strongest nation in the world, so that was really good. But those numbers were very, very uh, impressive. We're doing fantastically well, so uh, we'll take that every single time. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Happy Friday. Thank you for being here. I'm coming to you live from New York City, my hometown. It is cold. It is smelly. It is overcrowded. But it is home, Producer Mike. Yeah, but when it's cold, it stinks a little less, you know? That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. That's like I always tell people, if you're going to go to Venice, don't go in the summer. No doubt. (laughs) Those open canals can get funky. Uh, also, we got uh, DJ John in the house and special guest, little brother, is visiting one of the Sexton brothers, 
Keats, he is here. He is in the house. He is watching the magic unfold. I think this is his first time in the uh, in the whole thing. Yeah, and he, I just found out he works like two blocks away. He's never coming over. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know. What's up with that? It's a little sad for me too, but it's all right. We'll we'll let him see. We'll let him see the super fancy studio next door, the Hannity Studio. You know, where everything is just where the streets are paved of gold and yeah. the microphones are made of yeah, I don't know, Fabergé eggs and things. Yeah. So we'll take him over there next. Yeah. That's where the real that's where the real magic happens. So we got things to talk about today. Um, we have uh, a, a lot to talk about. Actually, a, a pretty out of nowhere breaking news story on uh, Northam. Not the one about abortion. We got a different. One we'll talk to you about later on this hour. I just saw it. We're going to read in and, and make sure we we bring that to your attention. It's kind of a vague teaser, but I think sometimes that's sometimes the best teasers are a little bit vague. Uh, obviously, the economy. We started off with that. 304,000 jobs created in January. What I remember being told that because of the government shutdown, we're going to have dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. You know, I was told there's going to be all this bad stuff that happens because of the shutdown. Well, everybody got paid. At least all the federal government workers got paid. They're all back at work. And the economy looked like it was doing pretty well last month. Job growth picking up basically double what they thought it would be. So that seems pretty significant. That seems pretty significant to me. And this is one of those days where you have to remember we were told that Trump was going to destroy the economy and it would be terrible. And, you know, he, he's so inept, they say. He's so incapable of understanding any of this that it's just a matter of time before things are going to all collapse. Well, now we're going on, what, we're in year three here and things haven't collapsed. Things are actually doing pretty well. So I'm going to need someone to tell me why we should turn over the keys to our economy, to the ideology of a 29-year-old bartender who seems to have problems with math. If you want Ocasio-Cortez, Warren, Sanders, if you want them to be the ones making the decisions about the economy and about America, then, then just be prepared to deal with a lot of people that are short on answers and long on sanctimony. A lot of, oh, it's just to help the poor people. And why don't you want to help the poor? You know, the best way to help uh, poor people is from a government perspective. Uh, create as robust and rapidly growing an economy as possible so people have as much money as possible so that communities are in a position to help those who are in need and who are less fortunate and not just rely on a massive government safety net. But as we know, it can often turn into a hammock and has lots of Long-term, downstream, negative social ramifications. So, but that's a conversation, I suppose, for another time. It's going pretty well in uh, in in Trump land when it comes to the economy. There's some other areas we still need a lot of work. We'll talk about the the border and what's going on there over the fight on the wall. Still amazed. I still see people saying that walls don't work. I I, I don't know what it's going to take. What it's going to take. I, I I wish. We could set up some kind of an experiment where anybody who says walls don't work will take them to a place and we'll say, hey, we'll give you a, $1,000 if you get from A to B, but we're going to put a 20-foot wall in your way and it's going to stretch for you know miles. And at the end of the wall, we're also going to set up people who are in vehicles who are there to prevent you from getting over the wall. And there's surveillance systems attached to it and there's motion sensors attached to it. Yeah. Let's see if it's easy. Let, let's see how that goes for you. And then you can tell me, well, if you can hop over the 20-foot 20, the 20 wall or the 15-foot wall with the motion sensors and the cameras and roving border patrols, then we can have a conversation about how they don't work.
but they're still saying it. And I, you know, we're, we're preparing for this State of the Union address. I think the expectation is that Trump's probably going to say that this is when the national emergency will be declared. And uh, national emergency is not as, as scary as it sounds. Keep in mind that the people that are saying this is tyrannical, it's a national emergency to build a fence, folks. Okay? It's really, it's really what we're talking about. It's not a national emergency to, you know, seize your bank account or or take anyone's guns away, although Democrats would love that. You know, it's not a national emergency that suspends habeas corpus or no. It's a national emergency to build a fence. I think we'll be OK. You know, I, I think this will all be all right, but it'll obviously go into the go into the system and there'll be a lot of legal back and forth over it. But I think that Trump's basic pitch on the economy. And and the good news is the economy will be strong for the State of the Union. And we've heard the Democrats over the last month being crazy. And the last 30 days has been really clarifying. You can't let these people be in charge. You can argue with Trump. You know, if you're on the right, if you're a conservative, if you if you despise Trump's persona and his personal, you know, proclivities and everything else, that's one thing. If you want to talk about how you know, he didn't move fast enough on the wall. He did not. He is talking about DACA, which should be concerning. It's a lot of areas to criticize Trump. But let's just remember that, you know, you can work within the world of Trump and the people around him on the economy. You can work within the world of Trump and the people around him on immigration and push for better ideas and better policy. And Trump has done that. Right? Trump has adjusted what he has been advocating for based on either the feedback of the American people or feedback of experts, people in Congress who know what's up, which not very many of them. But the alternative is the far left infanticide supporting socialism, loving open borders, wanting left. That's not a good look. That's not a good thing. That's not going to help this country at all. And, you know, they're going to try to, normalize, to borrow a word from the left, a lot of the stuff that they're saying right now, a lot of what you're hearing about a 70 percent or a 90 percent tax rate, they're going to say, oh, well, look what happened in the 50s, because the more people pay attention to this and understand what the real long term implications would be, the more likely it is that they'll say, you know, I think I'll stick with the uh, I'll stick I'll stick with the capitalists over the commies. You know, that's that's a rough approximation for the two sides. But I think I'd rather go with people that believe in individual uh, individual rights and the free market. And rewarding success and hard work and keeping the government out of your life over people who seem to think the government has the answer to everything. The government has the answer to everything. We have an answer, by the way, about Elizabeth Warren's DNA. Now she agrees that that was a mistake. I think it's funny because CNN rolled that out initially like, look, she's proved all the haters wrong. No, CNN, but you have proved all the haters right once again. Elizabeth Warren has had to uh, apologize. We'll see what comes next on that. We've got more on immigration, the wall, and this story about Governor Northam. You are going to have to hear it. That's coming up. I think Nancy Pelosi is hurting our country very badly by doing what she's doing. And ultimately... uh I think I've set the table very nicely. I think people understand. Well, they understand, Peter. They didn't know what was going on on the southern border. Now they know. They had no idea the amount of crime, the amount of drugs, the amount of human trafficking, which can be stopped with a proper system. Set the table for our 
I've set the table. I've set the stage for doing what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm going to wait till the 15th. I think it's a waste of time. I hope the president's right. I do think that more people than ever are aware of what's happening at the border and also know that the Democrats have been lying. The media has been lying about what's happening at the border. This whole idea that barriers don't work, that there's no crisis, that there's no problem, that Border Patrol isn't overwhelmed, that there's not a a systematic effort, you know, a coordinated strategic effort to overwhelm our southern border with asylum requests, with NGOs and all these legal aid organizations helping uh, pass the word down to people. What do you need to say to game the system? You know, there were these arrests for uh, birth tourism that happened, uh, you know, these prosecutions that are underway now for birth tourism. Essentially, women come from China. They stay in a hotel in the U.S. that is set up for this. They give birth in that hotel. They make sure they get all the paperwork and everything so that that baby is a U.S. citizen. Then they go home to China. But what that means is that when the child is is grown up and wants to go to America for school or wants to go to America you know, for whatever reason, they're a U.S. citizen. As a matter of law, they're as American as you and me, but they grew up in Beijing or Shanghai. Maybe have no affinity or loyalty for this country whatsoever. Now, we're prosecuting them. This is a scam. People... We'll send uh, we'll send individuals to prison. Prosecutors will send people to prison for doing this because they recognize that it is wrong. They recognize that this is an abuse of the system. It's done in bad faith and we cannot allow it. But what I need to know. I need the Democrats to explain because they can't. Is why is it that when someone flies into a hotel. Remember, they're at least they're paying money here and, you know, they're maybe boosting the economy a little bit, you could say. They, they fly into uh, L.A. or San Francisco and the whole purpose of it is to give birth in the U.S. They are committing an illegal act, right? The, the, the Chinese national who shows up in L.A. as part of a scheme to give birth here, you know, that's illegal. But a a Honduran who shows up at our border nine months pregnant and says, I fear gang violence and knows that she's going to be let into the U.S. right away. She's already lied about the gang violence, but who can really prove that one way or the other? And then she gives birth in this country. And then that child is an American citizen. What's the, what's really the difference? You know, I'm sure we could get some smug Democrat lawyer to try to tell me, but we all we don't need that because we know there is no difference. I mean, the difference between birth tourism and people who show up here illegally and give birth in this country is just a function of the process. I mean, there's it's the same idea. You're going to break the law to get the benefits of U.S. citizenship for somebody. And that benefit, by the way, also extends to the person who breaks the law. It's not just for the child. You know, your U.S. citizen child can sponsor you later on in life uh, to have family reunification. And if you're not in favor of family reunification, well, then you're some kind of a monster. Then you're a terrible person and everyone should hate you and all the rest of it. So, you know, think about it this way. We're, we're willing to prosecute birth tourism hotels, but we're not willing to prosecute people who show up at the border and lie and then don't 
show up for their immigration hearing for asylum because they know that there's not the political will. This is all about political will. Remember, tyranny is not the direct and strenuous, but across the board application of strict law. Tyranny is the capricious application of law. It is the some people live by the law, some people don't. That's what a real tyranny is. That's what the Soviet Union was. That's what show me a country. You know, look at North Korea. All North Koreans don't live under strict laws. Kim Jong-un doesn't live under strict laws. Kim Jong-un's henchmen don't live under strict laws. Right? So that's the way you need to think of what is tyrannical. Uh, when people are using the law as a tool of politics and only enforcing it against some people and not against others. By the way, I, I just also, you know, I, I think that Trump, I think that Trump has made some progress on on the border. And at least people understand what's going on there. They know that anyone who says walls don't work is just making stuff up and doesn't know what the heck they're talking about. There, there's a greater understanding of that now as well, which is important. But. I got to tell you, um, I'm not I am not particularly uh, optimistic that there will be any kind of a deal with the Democrats on this. And all that's going to happen is going to be a declaration of national emergency. And then sure enough, it'll go into the courts and both sides will declare victory. Uh, we've got to deal with this later on in the show. We'll have an actual arms expert come to, to tell us what's happening with the Russians and this treaty. But I thought it was so funny. This week, I've been hearing that Trump is Putin's puppet for a whole bunch. And, oh, Trump is Putin's puppet. It's come up a bunch of times. Meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi is out there. And, uh, you know, she's saying that Trump is risking a new arms race with Russia because he's not Putin's puppet, it turns out. And he's not doing whatever Putin wants. And here's what Trump had to say about that. Nancy Pelosi says you're risking a new arms race with Russia. What's your answer? Uh... Honestly, I don't think she has a clue. I really don't. I don't think Nancy has a clue. And I see that when she says walls are immoral. She doesn't have, uh, she doesn't know. And, and I wish she did because uh, she's hurting this country so badly. It's all rhetorical, not delivered well, but it's all rhetorical. She's hurting our country very, very badly. Even with statements like that. Okay, thank you very much, everybody. It's true. It's true. Hurting the country with statements like that. Doesn't doesn't have a clue is the most true part. Nancy Pelosi does not have a clue. I mean, she really represents the classic Democrat machine politician, you know, rich, disconnected from, from normal people, but ensconced in a in a just loony liberal district in California. So there's no pressure on her to be a normal person. She gets to just be as far left as she wants and do whatever she wants. And I just wish more people would see her for what she is on all this stuff. But Trump's right. At least Trump calls her out on that. We got a lot more coming up here in just a moment, team. So stay with me. Has Trump Rosen's kind of given you any sense over the course of the last year about whether you have any exposure either in well, he told he told uh, the attorneys that I'm not a subject. I'm not a uh, a target of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. About which? 
I don't know. I don't know about that. I, that I don't know about. Not a target. Trump says that uh, Rosenstein told the attorneys that he's not a subject of the Russia probe. Told the attorneys, I'm not a subject, not a target. So that's from the New York Times interview on January 31st. All right. So now here we have the president who is uh, is coming out and saying all this stuff in New York Times. Look, people that, that, that beat up on him for talking to the Times, because he says they're the failing New York Times. He trashes them a lot. Yeah, but. You know, it's it still has a wide readership. And if, if he didn't, if he didn't talk to The New York Times, they would say, oh, he's afraid and he's playing favorites and all this other stuff. Right. If he wasn't willing to speak to The Times, then the issue would be that, you know, he's he's hiding from them. And But so when he does speak to me, of course, Trump is damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. I mean, that's the way that it works with with this media. There's no question about it. Um but isn't it interesting that he says that he's told he's not a subject, not a target? I think we're going to find out at the end of this thing that they never even came close. They never even came close to having anything, you know, to get Trump on. And the stuff that we've already heard, you know, the Trump Tower meeting and the the what's his name, uh, Cohen. Uh, that that's that's the the most quote damning stuff that they've got, and that's nowhere near enough for anything, as we know. So there will also come a time when we have to say, well, hold on a minute. What exactly was all of this for? What was all of this for? And the Democrats are going to say a whole lot of stuff, but Russia and the elections. And, but but the truth is that all of this was a, a rage session. It was, it was a kind of anger therapy for Democrats that can't handle that Trump won and that and that Hillary lost. That's really what the special counsel has been all about from the beginning. I mean, if anyone thinks that Russia is now afraid of us and Russia is no longer going to meddle in elections, I mean, that's that's hysterical, right? That's first of all, Russian meddling in the election was pretty irrelevant. Um, didn't you know? People, oh, you're saying they didn't? I'm not saying they didn't meddle. I'm just saying it didn't matter. If one person votes twice in a national election, that means that there was election fraud during the election. Does that mean that the election shouldn't count? Of course not, because we need to understand proportion. But the left doesn't care about proportion. They just care that they can make some case that is technically or superficially accurate about Russia meddling in the election. And then that just comes Russia meddled Russia. This is like what they do with climate change. Do you believe in climate change? Yeah, sure. I believe in climate change. Well, then you have to do all these things I won't know. I, I don't think that climate change means that there's this catastrophic environmental global problem that we're ne- you know that's going to destroy us and kill us and all this other stuff right i mean that's so so there is that um but also who gets who gets prosecuted for lying is going to be something that we have to spend more time on who gets prosecuted for lying is not something that we should just let uh fly under the radar here uh matt gates who's a congressman he he spoke about this one recently because you know i talked to roger stone what, yesterday, the day before? Yeah, I guess it was yesterday. I spoke to Roger Stone. And by the way, I like Roger Stone. Mike, you ever remember Roger Stone? Roger Stone's the, he's an interesting character. No, I never, never met him, but I... He's a snappy dresser. Yeah. You know, and he's a nice guy. Okay. You know, he's weird. I mean, yeah. definitely weird. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but yeah. he's sharp, too. Like, he says insightful things. Yeah. He he knows who the worst people at CNN are, which is fun. So we, right. we had a nice chat about that. You know who who is that's always a fun the chat. worst at CNN. And yeah. He knows he he's he's correct. He's on the money. Yeah. Uh, 
He's also a fighter. I mean, he says that he's he's got no plans to back down against the special counsel, which is in a position to essentially bankrupt him and, and maybe you know, ruin his life. I mean, he is in a position to uh, to do all that stuff. But he still says he's going to fight it out. He's going to keep fighting. And he's getting prosecuted for lies about stuff that are Mickey Mouse. They're just not serious. And he's saying, you know, okay, well, I told them, you know, he said, plead the fifth, anything to protect the plan. He says he he joked. He was making a joke, which when you read the full context of one of the text messages, I believe he was joking. Plead the fifth, protect the plan. Like he was trying to be funny and he's a weird guy. So he tells weird jokes. That doesn't surprise me. They want to lock him up in federal prison. And they want to tell us that, oh, it's because. The law is the law. We know Democrats don't believe that. The law wasn't the law when it came to Hillary and her emails. It wasn't the law then. That much is for sure. And there are a lot of other people that have told lies to Congress that have not been criminally prosecuted. Former acting director of the FBI, Andy McCabe, he told lies to Congress. I'm sorry, to the FBI, rather. He told lies to the FBI, and he has not been prosecuted. Matt Gates brought this up. I think he's uh, he's he's correct on this one. Play eight. I thought Robert Mueller was supposed to be investigating Russia collusion. Now he's become a glorified hall monitor enforcing the provisions of lying to Congress. The problem is that he's enforcing them unequally. Hillary Clinton said that she didn't send or receive any classified email. We know that's a lie. Uh, Jim Comey said he was never the source or never the director of leaked information. He later admitted that that was not true, even though it was the subject of his sworn testimony before Congress. And you'll remember Clapper told all the American people before Congress that there was no bulk collection of data. The deputy director of the FBI, uh, Mr. McCabe, he lied four times. He lied so frequently he was demoted and referred for criminal prosecution. But a whole lot of these other people haven't been. And it's the, it's the greatest evidence that Robert Mueller is not a person in search of the truth. He's out to get Trump and the people close to Trump. Because if he wasn't, if he was unbiased, you would have seen similar charges brought against other these other people. The whole thing is a get Trump operation. True. The whole thing is a Get Trump Democrat revenge plot. I was sitting around talking to uh, some friends yesterday about this, about how if you had told me a few years ago that opposition research would be opposition research about a Republican president that claimed that he had been engaged in all kinds of just bizarrely uh, sexual and degrading acts in Russia with prostitutes and all. You know, if you told me that that would make its way, not just to the press who with no verification of it whatsoever, which still they have no verification of it whatsoever. And that that would be used as a document in the intelligence community to get a FISA warrant on people. I mean, to use some of the most powerful tools the federal government has for surveillance and to do surveillance on people like Carter page, someone who is so clearly you know, innocent of any wrongdoing and not a threat to the United States for any reasonable person. I would have said, no way, but here we are. But, oh, they've got Roger Stone because he said he emailed somebody when he called them or he called them when he actually emailed them. What a surprise. Democrats get away. They get the benefit of the doubt. Republicans get get crushed. They never get the benefit of the doubt. This is not an accident. This is the weaponization of 
the justice apparatus against our side, it has to stop. And the Mueller probe is a giant neon red flashing sign saying you got to stop this now. Well, this is an unexpected story for a Friday. Uh, Producer Mike and I are just seeing this now as we as we go on air. And and I, I want to start by saying that there are certain certain rules that we should all have in place. We talk about these kind of stories, right? When there's new information that comes to light, we got to make sure that this is verified, it's accurate, and uh, know the full context because we have been hammering, and rightly so, hammering the left and the left-wing press for what they've been doing recently where they see some kind of an opening to spread a narrative and they just jump right into it right away. I mean, they don't wait for the facts. They don't care about you know, the possibility that they may or may not be getting it wrong. They just want to know that they can tell the story when they can tell the story, and there you have it, right? So I don't want to do that because it's early, but I do have to tell you, I mean, this is the number, this is the biggest story on the Drudge Report right now, and it is a doozy. It is a wow kind of story. So Ralph Northam, we'll talk about later in the show again a little bit because he's the guy who said those comments about uh, abortion on that radio show where he said, you know, you'll take a baby out, make the baby comfortable, and then decide what to do with the baby when it's outside the womb, which to anybody who was being honest and was listening sounds pretty pretty much like, you know, you make a decision whether to kill a live baby or not, which is infanticide, which is murder. So this is a, a guy... Speaking about a murder like he's speaking about somebody getting a hip replacement. You know, like, you know, after you figure it out, you get the hip and you're done. So he had a very bad day yesterday. And he came out today and was trying to trying to say that, you know, his, that's not what he said or it was out of context. Or, you know, he went on defense. This is the governor of Virginia, a governor that uh, Bill Crystal of the Weekly Standard and some of the other super never Trumpers were. You know, this is the kind of guy that we should be supporting, you know, a, a moderate Democrat or whatever. You know, yeah, that's that's what they were saying. There was a lot of that going on. This story just broke today and it came out originally with uh, big league politics in big league politics. And it's Ralph Northam yearbook page. And now it's the pilot online I and mean, it's Virginia, some the Virginia pilot rather has picked this one up. So it's, it's getting these are the outlets that are picking this up and it's purportedly a yearbook page that's of ralph northam not from high school which was what i initially thought so he's not like a 14 or 15 year old from medical school which means that he is uh he is a an adult probably in his you know 20 or in his mid-20s let's say i don't know around there but this is a page from the 1984 uh, 1984 um, Virginia Medical School yearbook. Uh, and it says, well, I'm sorry, I forget what it says. Well, no, it says Alma Mater, Virginia Military Institute, interest, et cetera, et cetera. Ralph Shearer Northam. And on his personal yearbook page, if this is correct, is a photo of a guy very clearly in blackface and standing next to the person in blackface is someone in a full Ku Klux Klan uniform. I mean, you know, the hat, 
and the whole thing. KKK guy right there on his page. Now, this has not been verified yet. We don't know. You know, we so we so I, I mean, it looks it could, could it be a hoax? Yes, it could be a hoax. Is there up? CNN's running it right now. Yeah, CNN. So, it just popped up on CNN on their app and on TV. Um, so, yeah, doesn't look like a hoax to me, man. Looks looks like looks like uh, Ralph Northam is about twelve hours away from resigning. Yeah, it. Yes. Uh, just to provide a little context, uh, CNN reports that uh, it was obtained by a CNN affiliate, WTKR. And it, like you just said, it appears in the 1984 yearbook for the Eastern Virginia Medical uh, School. So, Wow. Virginia is going to have to find a new governor, I think. I, I don't think. Now, there will be people that want to have a discussion about, you know, how long ago was this? And I'm sure... Give it, give it, you know, mark my words, producer Mike, there will be some left-wing idiot who's like, right around the time when Brett Kavanaugh was, you know, raping women, you know, they'll, they'll say that, right? They'll say, oh, and you thought Kavanaugh was okay, right. There's no photo of Kavanaugh doing anything because he didn't do anything. In fact, no one can even tell where he was or, you know, there, there's no evidence at all. This in a court you'd call evidence. You know, unless somebody went back and engaged in a very elaborate, you know, Dan Rather style document hoax here. This this is pretty much. I think this is lights out for Northam. He might have had the worst one-two political punch here, the worst twenty-four hours of any politician since Anthony Weiner. I mean, this is about as who, of course, as we know, ended up going to federal prison. Uh, this is about as bad as it gets. You know, killing babies, R- Ralph Northam killing babies. Okay, under our laws, not a big deal. And oh, by the way, when I was in medical school, not even a high school student, that wouldn't be okay. But at least you'd say he was really young, and maybe there's some mitigation there. Uh, college, I'm sorry, post grad student. I mean, and by the way, people are already saying, you know, which it's not clear if he's in the blackface or if he's in the KKK uniform. I don't think it matters. I don't think anyone's going to identify one as worse than the other. Uh, for him, so I think he's Mike. What do you think? Is he toast? Uh, I can, would, can he survive this one? I don't think so. But uh, you know, liberals have given themselves passes on things. You know, yeah. I mean, da- this, uh, so. Bird, what's his yeah. name? Uh, Senator Senator Robert Bird. He was a grand wizard of the KKK. All right. So he was actually senior member of the KKK. Then became a beloved senator from uh, what was it, West Virginia? Uh, John, what do you think? Did this guy survived this one. No, you can just you can just nod your head one of the other. Throw I, I'm not sure. It's how does it get into a school yearbook? First of all, don't they have? He editors? put it in it. It's on his page. You know how you pick the photos? This is like his montage, and one of his montage photos photos is a. By the way, how did I, I guess? It has he, to be a moderator to say this is inappropriate. It, yeah. that's why I think we had that in high school. I, I, I've I've been saying to Mike uh, in here that something's not right about that. I, it looks bad. I saw the picture. Looks bad, but something's not right. I and uh, a moderator of the yearbook would say something before that got into the book. Someone has to edit because I've, you know, I used to work on my yearbook. I mean, I don't know how much editing there was for racial sensitivity at Eastern Virginia Medical School in the right. early '80s. Yeah, I don't think there was any. John, I mean, I agree <laughs> with you, but if this were like last year, I'd say, yeah, that seems you know particularly egregious in terms of missing the 
you know, in terms of editors that would have said, what is this? And, and made sure it didn't go in the yearbook. Uh, this looks pretty bad. I, I think, I think uh, governor Northam is not going to be governor Northam all that much longer, but we'll see it. Maybe he comes out, says, you know, I didn't, that's not me. That's doctorate. I wasn't in that fall. You know, that, you never know, but what a strange thing for somebody to, to fabricate if that were the case. Um, so I, I think he's in big, I think he's in big trouble. And it also just goes to show you, man, you know, you get, you get out there in a way where everyone all of a sudden wants to look into your stuff. They can find stuff, you know, in the internet era, people find stuff really fast, but I think this is uh, going to be the end of the governorship of Ralph Shearer Northam. Morning coffee is an American institution. That's why when it comes to kicking off my day the right way, I reach for one and only one American coffee, Black Rifle Coffee. I drink it every morning and probably in the afternoons too, especially if I need to get through a long day. Black Rifle Coffee is delicious. It is roast-to-order small batch coffee that can get sent right to your front door. Just join the coffee club. You'll never have to think about buying coffee again because it'll get sent to you and you'll be good to go whole beans pre-ground all different kinds of blends i'm telling you this is coffee for people who love coffee but also love america so wake up with america's coffee black rifle coffee visit blackriflecoffee.com slash buck and receive 15 percent off your order that's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15 percent off again blackriflecoffee.com slash buck join that coffee club pick your blend the amount you want have it delivered every month BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Let's be really clear. Capitalism without rules is theft. Encouraging companies to build their business models on cheating people, that's not capitalism. That's not competition in the marketplace. That's not producing consumer surplus. So what I believe is capitalism with serious rules. And that means rules where everybody gets a chance to play. Elizabeth Warren is telling you where the Democrats really are on this. It's important to heed what she is saying. This is going to be a central fight, perhaps the central fight of the 2020 election. We're getting a preview of it right now. She's saying here is that capitalism without rules is theft. Now, that's a giant straw man. You know this, right? We have a tremendous amount of rules in our system of capitalism in this country. We have so many rules. But what she's saying is that they want to rewrite the rules of capitalism, and they want to do it by suggesting that if you don't agree with them, then you are supporting theft. You know, this is a a sort of corollary or you know this this is analogous in some way to behind every great fortune is a is a great theft you know she believes that she believes that people who are very successful financially uh, people who are very successful financially must have done so through illicit exploitation of other people you know there must have been some laws that they broke and here's the thing if they didn't break laws the problem is that we don't have strong enough laws for them to break. So they're going to want to change this. Remember, she was she was somebody over at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is that agency that when Trump came in, they basically said, sorry, we don't care that you're the commander in chief and you're the head of the executive branch. 
we're kind of outside of your purview, but we're still a federal government agency. It's like, that's not how this is supposed to work. But they tried to just burrow in a lot. There's a lot of deep state burrowing that has occurred at different federal agencies. I can talk to you about that maybe another time. Um, But capitalism without rules is theft. Serious rules. Everyone gets a chance to play. Uh, There's very little here in terms of specifics. There's very little that the Democrats, that Warren and, and her ilk are going to provide you with other than taxing the rich, taxing the, the billionaires, right? Or as Bernie Sanders famously used to say, the millionaires and the billionaires. Elizabeth Warren's a millionaire. Bernie Sanders is definitely worth somewhere in the seven figures. I don't know what. He's got three houses. So The auto millionaires, not this one. This one does not count. That's what they offer you. They tell you that if, if only we have stricter rules, if only we do more to uh, make life, well, a little more difficult for very rich people, then your life will be made a lot easier. And that's just not true. It is not the case. It is not the case that your life will be easier, that you will be wealthier if there are these rules and restrictions. Keep in mind that this is where we have to do a, tr- a lot of re-educating of the American people because the media goes along with this stuff. Like, here, here, here's the narrative. I'll give you two narratives about where capitalism has failed and then what the truth of them is, right? The narrative of the financial crisis of 2008, in shorthand, Wall Street sold houses to people with fine print that they couldn't understand, that they couldn't afford, And then took those obligations, took those debts and essentially merged them all together and sold them to each other, sold them to other other financial entities. And they did this and then they sold insurance on the on the the sales of those, you know, credit default swaps and all. Okay, that but that's the essentially Wall Street greed almost destroyed the entire economy. The real story, which a lot of people just don't seem to care about or aren't going to care about. The real story is that over a series of decades, federal laws were passed and these laws were also supported by the you know, enormous and very expensive federal, quasi-federal agencies of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Federal laws were passed that banks had to lend to people even if they had bad credit. This was because... There was a disproportionate effect on particularly the African-American community of not getting credit. Right. So black people were not being given loans based on their uh, FICO scores by the banks. And they called it redlining. And I'm sure there were discriminatory practices, too. But it went from no discrimination in lending to it doesn't matter if you can show that this person is a bad bet. You have to lend to them if they are a minority or else. We're going to come after you. And the Clinton administration, for example, made a big deal of going after banks and suing banks because they were not lending sufficiently to African-American lenders. But then it expanded because once you've gotten rid of FICO scores for some people, it's easier to get rid of them for more people. Right. And then we had this bipartisan consensus and the government pushing this of everybody should own. a. We have a home ownership society. The Bush administration bought into it. So we get rid of the lending standards. And then we're told everybody should own a home and that everybody should put it on credit. And then Wall Street comes in and says, well, we got all this credit that's backed by the federal government. You know, we can't lose. 
And then when they were about to lose and they got bailed out by the government. But there was a lot of social justice and social engineering and all that stuff in the run up to this. And that just gets left out of the discussion. So, you know, at the very end of this, you get the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is just saying, oh, you know, there's, you know, illegal and bad lending practices. Yes, there are badly bad lending practices. The government has been dictating lending practices for decades. The Community Reinvestment Act stretches back to, I think, the 1960s, which was the start of this idea that you have to lend into certain neighborhoods. If you're a bank, you have to or else the government will sue you for discrimination and saying, well, this person, I have they have a history of not paying their bills. I don't want to lend to them. Sorry, that's racist. That's the, the very short version of that much longer story. Uh, and then on health care, which we could do a similar thing on health care. Truth about health care is that as we talked to Ovik Roy about this earlier in the week, almost half, almost half of health care spending already is government health care spending in some way. And the government is involved in hospital. By the way, hospitals are scams. Go into an emergency room sometime. They take your blood pressure, they charge you $1,000. I'm not even kidding. It's crazy. Hospitals are scams. Only go to a hospital if you have literally no choice. There's no other choice, but that's government regulation, right? I mean, there's so much government regulation that goes into that process, but we're told that it's unfair because of the greedy capitalists at the top. No, what what makes it unfair are the market distortions that are created, yes, by some special interests and pharmaceutical companies, but also by the government thinking that it's good at helping to set prices, that it's good at making determinations about how Private industry, in this case, private health care, should function. It is not good at that. So, you know, but we're going to be told stories about the failures of capitalism that are often, and, and these are stories that if people believe them, it could change the future of this country because they're going to put wackos like Warren in charge. We need to know and spread the word about the truth, which is that th- there are already is a tremendous amount of regulation and law in our capitalist system. We do not have a free market. So if we're going to identify failures, we can't just say it's a failure of the free market. It's often a failure of government intervention in the market that creates the distortion that's then exploited by special interests who then maintain that by put, by putting money in the pockets of politicians. So, it, it, But it's a lot easier to say, yeah, the big, mean, rich people are the problem. It, it is a lot, I will say it is a lot easier, and Democrats will do that. They will go that route. They will say that it's all about uh, things being a lot easier for them. And that is my my expectation. So we have a whole lot more coming up, team. Stay with me. Hiring can be tough and it can take a lot of time. You don't want to burn up your time trying to find the best resumes. I got a better idea. Why don't you do things the right way, the smart way? That's why you should go to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. It's got a powerful matching technology that will scan thousands of resumes and identify the people with the right skills, education, and experience and actively invite them to apply to your job opening. So this way, you're going to get qualified candidates fast. We use ZipRecruiter with great success at Hill TV. I have colleagues we hired through my ZipRecruiter account. You should check it out, too. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Show your support for this show and for ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Again, one more time, ZipRecruiter.com. 
ZipRecruiter.com slash buck because ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. I think all of us know that so many Americans are losing faith in, in this country's ability to work for them. People are feeling left out, left behind. And I think a lot of folks are beginning to feel that the forces that are tearing us apart in this country are stronger than the forces that tie us together. I, I don't believe that. And so I'm running to restore our sense of common purpose, to focus on the common pain that we have all over this country. My record, I think, when I have a chance to put it before people, mm-hmm. uh, they're going to see a very different, uh, mm-hmm. uh, sort of not usual path yeah. uh, in politics. And uh, where I live, uh, you know, I still live in the central ward of Newark, New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, the only senator that goes home uh, to a community that's, you know, still a low-income community, uh, inner-city community. And they don't. We got Cory Booker throwing his hat in the ring for 2020, as we all knew he would. I think I even said he would last week, but that's not a prediction. It's it's obvious. Uh, Cory Booker now officially wants to be the president of the United States. Okay, first of all, notice how he positions himself. And I know that this is all all the the tradecraft of the Politico, but you know he he comes out and he's talking about the shared concerns, shared problems. He wants to run as the bipartisan moderate. Democrat guy. He wants to run as, you know, I I feel your pain and I'll fix it if you give me tremendous power. You know, that's what he's saying. You know, that's what he's saying. He's saying he will feel he will feel your he already feels your pain. And in fact, he'll try to make the pain go away if you just make him president of the United States. So he, he sees his lane in this whole thing. Right. You got, you know, Warren. Who apologized? You see that apologized to the Cherokee Nation today. See, so, so so she so she's a fraud. So we now now she's a you know it's like you don't apologize for murdering somebody unless you murdered somebody. You know she committed a fraud. So this is pretty clear. Uh, she's a fraud. Fine. At least she did say sorry. Do we think she's really sorry, or do we think she just got caught? I'll leave that to you. She did release those DNA results. So that's something that somebody would have to explain how you could think that that's a good idea. Um, But she did. You know, she did. She released him. So uh, she's now obviously running as the female Bernie Sanders or maybe Bernie Sanders is running as the as the male Elizabeth Warren. Really, You know, hey, I'm not trying to mansplain over here. They're both a nightmare. Exactly. Or or Mike's plane, perhaps. I've seen I've seen how feisty you get. Uh, So you got these Democrats that are lining up some of their different some of their different pathways and and their their version of you know the republican primary from 2016 where you're going to have a lot of people so they have to differentiate themselves so cory booker differentiates himself from the others by being that you know i'm just i'm just a guy who's just gonna like bring everyone together and i just want everyone to be friends and i just want to fix things and okay fine there's a little problem though with that first of all you'll recall just this past summer Cory Booker was the guy who decided to be Mr. Mr. Tough street fighter on the political beat. Uh, play it. I, I openly invite and accept the consequences of my team releasing that email right now. And I'm releasing it to expose that, number one, the emails that are being withheld from the public have nothing to do with national security. I appreciate the comments of my colleagues. This is about the closest I'll probably ever have in my life to an I am Spartacus moment. Pretty far from Spartacus, as we all know. 
You know what he should do though? And I'm serious. He should show up at a at like a low key campaign event wearing like full on Spartacus regalia. You know, with like a with the the sword and uh, and the whole the whole getup. You know, he should show up and lean into it a little bit. That would make it go away. I think. You know, if he were like, yeah, whatever, all right, I said it. You know, that'd be kind of funny. It can't be. He can't give a speech dress like that. Although maybe he would. But if he showed up with the sandals and the greaves and the the chest plate and the whole thing, what do you think? Yeah, that would require a sense of humor, which and, he does not have. Right, and nor do any Democrats that I know. So yeah, Democrat politicians not funny. It is true they are not funny. Can I tell you something? Can I tell you something that is kind of funny? I've heard this from a very well known, uh, well I should say very well known, a very connected DC insider and a and a connected Capitol Hill staffer. Mitch McConnell loves all the cocaine Mitch stuff. He thinks it is hilarious. That's great. Like people <laughs> go into his office and give him like they, they'll like give him a printout of an article and it's yeah. like he's like her, her, cocaine Mitch. <laughs> he loves it. <laughs> Multiple independent sources have told me Mitch mm. McConnell thinks cocaine Mitch is hilarious. Mm. Yeah. You want to laugh? You want to be happy? Find a conservative. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's true. It's true. We we do have the funnier. We do have the funnier politicians, I have to say. But so, uh, so Cory Booker, he is most well known for at least over the last year for that I'm Spartacus moment. But also, I'm never going to forget that while he tries to be Mr. Horn, oh, I just, I just want everyone to be friends, and I just want everyone to get along, and I just want to fix problems, and I want, to, I want to solve the pain, and all this stuff. You know, while while he prom- promotes himself as that right now, I am not going to forget anytime soon that he is also the guy who six months ago or so, or whatever it was, was part of the effort to not just destroy Brett Kavanaugh in front of his wife and children, one of the ugliest things I've ever seen in American politics, and in front of tens of millions of people who were watching that, that hearing. You know, he was part of that effort, which no person of honor or decency could have been a part of, Okay, these women were lying. The final one, thank thank heaven, she actually came out with those accusations because she was just a, a clear loon. I mean, somebody who was was deranged and just making stuff up for attention. I mean, the Democrats and the media were willing to put people out there as truth tellers who were about as credible as the person wandering around with a big piece of cardboard sticking out of the shopping cart that says. You know, John 316 or whatever. Why is it always John 316, by the way? You know, you know I, mean? I don't know. I, I remember looking that up once when I was a kid because I was like, what is it? And it didn't make sense to me. You know, uh. I, I can't. Now my curiosity has got the best of me. And people right now are already without looking it up because they're better at this than I am. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Well, that's a great Bible verse. Why why do like people why do people at football games and crazy people in the street hold up John 316 posters? Am I missing something? How did this become a meme? I don't know. I'm trying it to It was a meme out. before there were memes. Yeah. Doesn't make sense to me. Anyway. It's been popular in sports culture forever. Right, it's been popular in sports culture. Yeah. So I don't get it. But the Kavanaugh hearing the Kavanaugh hearing told us who Cory Booker really was. The Kavanaugh hearing made it clear to us 
that Cory Booker is a person of no integrity or decency or honesty. He's just another politician who will do whatever he wants. I, I will never forgive or forget the Senate Democrats who were part of that televised, ritualized torture session of a good man who is now thankfully a Supreme Court justice. I'm not going to let that go. I'm not going to let that pass. We saw who they were that day, and we should never, ever forget it. I certainly am not going to any time. So, you know, Cory Booker is running. Whoop-dee. He just, here's an early prediction. He just doesn't have it. He just doesn't have it. He, you know, he's a little, he's a little wimpy, a little boring, not really very charismatic. It's just not going to work. Not going to work. And uh, I think that I don't even think he'll last that far into the primary. That's that's my prediction. So we can always go back and visit that. And that's what we'll do. Team, I've got much more show en route. Stay with me. One of the things we're considering, obviously, is a national emergency. And it is. It's an invasion of our country of not only people, not only gangs and criminals and human traffickers. It's an invasion of drugs into our country. It's an invasion like you've never seen before. You talk about heroin. Ninety percent of the heroin coming into our country comes in through the southern border. We can stop so much of that. And I'll tell you this. If we build a proper barrier with all of the technology, which only really works with the barrier, but if we build a proper barrier with great technology, too, uh, we will see crime throughout the United States go down in percentages that we've never seen before. It'll be an amazing thing because so much of it comes through the southern border. How could it not be considered a crisis when most of the drugs coming into this country that are killing 70,000 people a year are coming across our southern border. You know, take this one down to basics. Look at this one without all the political heat and the posturing and the demagoguery. Just look at it for what it is. What should we make of the fact that the Democrats continue to pretend like there's not a crisis at the border? I mean, it's it's astonishing to me. You know, people look at the, the seizure yesterday and the fact that they're the, the, the left's first response to a massive seizure of fentanyl at a port of entry is, oh, look, it's at a port of entry. It's not only at ports of entry. And by the way, ports of entry are also under greater strain because in, in terms of the security that's there, because you have immigrations and customs enforcement and Border Patrol having to process A lot of people coming into the country and dealing with a lot of people who are surrendering themselves as family units, giving them medical care. This is all strain on the system. This all takes people away from the job of law enforcement and makes them act like a a makeshift Red Cross on our southern border. So when we look at this, we should all understand that the stakes are life and death. Bernie Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez later on will talk about how they think that Green energy is a life and death issue, and it's not. And it's really an embarrassment that they think it is. Perhaps no more embarrassing than when Barack Obama said when he was speaking at the Coast Guard Academy that climate change is the greatest national security threat we face. Talk about tilting at windmills. This just makes no sense at all. It makes no sense. But they really believe this. They really believe this. Here we have a true crisis, a major emergency, 
And there's just no interest whatsoever from the Democrats in taking serious actions to stop it. When they say things like, oh, we need drones, we need drones, I say, okay, that just means that you'll know someone's crossing the border in time to not get there and arrest them. So you'll just have nice footage of somebody who's doing an illegal crossing. How does that help anyone? How does that help anyone? I don't think that they have an answer for this, by the way. Also, how could we not have a crisis at the border when you look at how many people are dying and you look at the numbers with, uh, say, just fentanyl and, and heroin alone and compare it to 10, 15, 20 years ago? It's not just the numbers of illegal crossings that are so disconcerting. It's how much is pouring into our country by way of drugs that kill people. These are more lethal drugs, too. This this isn't, you know, bales of heroin. I mean, uh, pardon me. This isn't bales of marijuana in the back of someone's truck driving into the U.S. or people bringing it down from Canada. These are drugs that are so lethal that if you touch them, you can die, which I, I the biochemistry of that has been explained to me by a doctor before, and it still is hard to believe. Uh, and as was mentioned, I think on this show yesterday, you know, there's a lot of Narcan out there, so you still have this very high overdose death rate, but it would be a lot higher if there was not a very effective drug that could counteract, that could counteract these overdoses. I mean, thankfully it is there, but I'm just telling you that the the scale of this problem is even greater than a lot of people realize because the, the only thing that is really paid attention to are deaths, not near deaths. And a lot of lives are being saved with Narcan. A lot of uh, emergency medical responders have to carry Narcan with them now and are using it. So th- this is a very serious issue. And, and you know, the, the China connection to it, too. You, you think about the real national security challenges that we face. We've gotten so wrapped up in thinking that we need to stop every jihadist overseas. And look, I, I've been guilty of it, too, in the past, thinking, well, we've This group says they're aligned with al-Qaeda, so we've got to go after them. Or that group says they're aligned. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. But when you have the crisis at our southern border, you have China stealing our intellectual property at a rate that will give them near technological and therefore military parity, if not superiority to us going forward. And then you have the Chinese, not as an official state policy, but. It is interesting, isn't it? The possibility that maybe maybe the Chinese, which, you know, China's a police state, maybe they turn a little bit of a of a blind eye to some of this. Maybe they're not as, uh, you know, not as as clear on what's leaving their borders when it comes to fentanyl and other things as they pretend to be. Uh, They are providing the precursor chemicals to then be mixed into these into these very deadly drugs in Mexico and brought up across the border. You know, Mexico is playing a role in this, too. You know, if it were so easy to do, if it were not a problem at all, uh, then why not just why wouldn't the, the cartels, why wouldn't the bad guys just be making the stuff here? Because they're setting up industrial facilities in Mexico where they can make tons of this stuff, bring it over. And it's killing people. It's killing people that, you know. And they say it's not a crisis. Trump is taking very seriously and he's saying, look, that the Chinese, they, they better shape up on this one, too. Uh, he says that they're going to do some stuff about fentanyl. One of the things that we discussed in Argentina was fentanyl. This is not a trade deal. This is a fact that uh, President Xi was extremely good 
when he said that they would criminalize fentanyl because fentanyl is killing a lot of our great American people. It's true. It's true. Will China do what's necessary here to to help us? I, I don't know. I think that that's very much still an open question. But these these drugs are a scourge unlike any we've ever seen before in this country. It, it is orders of magnitude worse than the crack epidemic. It is it, just by the numbers. I know people have said there's some kind of a, a class or race dynamic to that. I think that that is just refu- refuted when you look at you've, we've never had a year before last year when 70,000 people died of, of drug overdoses. That's never happened before in this country's history. And it's an astonishing number for every 70, for every person who dies. Think of how many friends, family, loved ones they have that are shattered by this. So it's a crisis. Okay. It's a crisis. Democrats need to stop just playing the most pathetic politics with this and get on board for securing the border. They just won't do it. This is a real life and death issue. And they just don't care. A fascinating and very disturbing disparity in the way that the abortion bills in New York and Virginia are being discussed or not discussed or being covered or not covered by the media. I I see here that the the go to tactic when there is a moment when the American people get to see just how grotesque and barbaric the true pro-choice side of the argument is when, when there is an opportunity for that uh, the media's best response usually i mean they, they can lie but they can only lie so much because it either is or is not we're talking about a matter of law this is why uh, representative tran of the virginia state legislature who said that yes it would include abortion all up to a birth that's because that is what the law says. I mean, they, they can say that, it, you know, they can try to say that it doesn't. They can try to say that nobody would ever do that. But that is what the law says. So this is a yes or no question. And when they have to answer tough yes or no questions, their, their preferred method is once the word is out, they just act like, what do you mean? That's not a big story. That's not that's not a, that's not a big deal at all. It doesn't really matter who who cares about this. We should listen to people when they tell us who they are. And in the last few days, we've gotten a real sense of who the progressive left are in this country. But it also reminds me of, and I have to hat tip my friend Raheem Kassam for putting this out there on the, on the internet and, and pointing out to everybody, you know, Trump knew who Hillary was on this issue quite a long time ago, whatever it was, during the, during the debates. And he got hammered at the time by the pro-Hillary press, which is 90% of them, he got hammered because he said, look, you need to understand what Hillary Clinton is willing to support. They said, oh, no, she won't. She won't uh, support that. That's not true. Turns out it, it is very much the case. But here's what he said to her back then. Light term partial birth. Well, abortion. I think it's terrible. Uh, if you go with what Hillary is saying in the ninth month, you can take the baby and rip the baby out of the womb of the mother just prior to the birth of the baby because based on what she's saying and based on where she's going and where she's been you can take the baby and rip the baby out of the womb in the ninth month on the final day well that is not what happens in these cases and using that kind of uh, scare rhetoric is just terribly unfortunate where it's obvious that a woman is about to give birth Wait, pause she it has for a second, physical John. signs pause of, it for a second. Um, so, so that was what hillary said 
And now we're just going to play over what Hillary's, oh, that's horrible and barbaric, and that's not what happens. Here is what was said on the Virginia uh, legislature floor a couple of days ago. Play it, John. Would that still be a point at which she could request an abortion if she was so certified? She's dilating. Uh, Mr. Chairman, that would be a, you know, a decision that the doctor, the physician and the woman. I understand that. that I'm asking if your bill allows that. My bill would allow that. Yes. So what exactly was Hillary saying about how that's part, you know, that's not fair and that's not what would happen. It is what would happen. And we've all known all along that's what would happen. And that they have to, you see, they have to legalize third trimester abortion because if there were any restrictions on abortion in the third trimester, that would be a concession that this is a baby. That would be a concession that this is a life that is involved. And they don't want to make that concession because if it's a baby at nine months, If it's a baby when it's coming out of the the birth canal, you have to ask the question, well, is it a baby at eight months, seven, six, five, four? And they don't want they don't want to have to answer those questions. Better to pretend that it's not a baby at all and to do so under this rubric of doctors and women making choices about their own health. That's just that's just blather. That's not addressing the issue. That's not talking to the issue. But I would just note that, you know, Hillary, people always say, oh, Trump, he's got a problem with the truth. But what he said there was correct. And the media was all over him. The media pounced. You could say that was that was another one. In the last 24 hours, you've seen so many news stories from these uh, different major outlets and papers where they keep doing this. Oh, Republicans pounce on what Governor Northam says. Well, yeah, I mean, they're going to they're going to react pretty strongly to a guy saying that, yeah, you can kill babies sometimes if you if you really if you really have to kill a baby, you can kill a baby. When it when a state uh, governor says that people are going to, quote, pounce. But I just think it's a fascinating uh, case study in how the media tries to run interference and tries to do whatever it can to help one side of this argument, tries to be helpful to one side of this argument. Um, and that's, it's never about the initial act that a Democrat has committed or the initial thing they've said. It's always all oh, Republicans pounce. They're going too far. They've overreached. That's another one. I like to say, Oh, they've overreached. That is not the case at all. Certainly not the case here. And then that brings me to a little bit of a public back and forth. I had today with a few, uh, Never Trump conservatives online, which is fine. Some of them I like, some of them I detest. Depends on which one we're talking about. But there's a, a particular sensitivity right now to what I what I had said or what I had written and, and will say now is we have seen who the Democrats are in the last month. And if you ally with them, if you are willing to support them and support their, their getting into power when they are when they are favorable to illegal immigration, pro-infanticide, want a 70 to a 90% tax rate. You know, you add up all these things. And if you are supporting them because you think that's a way to chasten Trump or own the Trump or whatever, there's a name for that. You're called a Democrat. Now, I know that never Trump people get very mad when you say this, because I'm not saying you can't, you know, first of all, 
you know, people can say whatever they want to say, but I'm not calling out people who criticize Trump, have problems with Trump. Look, if he doesn't build that wall, I'm going to have a big problem with Trump. And I think that Trump sometimes is self-defeating in certain ways with his messaging. I think that he makes things harder. He certainly makes it harder for people like me to make the case for the parts of his message that we do really like and agree with him on, right? So there's certainly criticism to be had of Trump. And I've talked before about the nepotism around Trump. That's I, I can't defend that. And people who think it's okay, just wait until you have, you know, uh, Kamala Harris's you know, husband as secretary of the treasury or something. You know, I mean, that's then then you'll be like, oh, I don't like nepotism. Well, too late. But there's plenty of ways to criticize the president. That's different than allying with the other side, though. And this this shouldn't be that complicated a concept. But people get very emotional about this. If you want to say, I don't like what Trump is doing, but I, but I do appreciate that the Republicans stand for life and the Democrats stand for death, and therefore I would rather Republicans be in charge of the Congress than the Democrats, fine. But if, you're, if your response to what you're seeing happening here is, you know what, to really teach the Republicans a lesson, we need to give the Ocasio-Cortez, Warren, Sanders, Hillary Clinton wing of the party. We need to give them power. We need to put them in power so that they can do the things that they want to do. You're allowed to do that, but that's just called being a Democrat. That is what that is. It is called being a Democrat. So I think we should be able to be pretty clear about that. I mean, never Trump people can get as mad as me if they want that. I'm not calling all of them out on this. I'm just saying this is how I see it, and I think it's pretty clear this point the other side has showed us who they are this this month really or last month i should say they have showed us who they are and uh it's not good it is not pretty it is not something that i would ever want to be a part of so time to double down on conservatism i've been talking to you about snippy.com for a little while now team if you haven't already you've got to check it out and if you looked at it once before look again Snippy.com is now updated with all kinds of improvements and things that you're going to want to use to have an unbiased social media platform that's all about conversation and community. Thousands of my listeners have already joined Snippy.com and they're expressing their opinions and stirring up lively conversations. You don't have any suppression from left-wing administrators, none of the conversational health initiatives or any of the other nonsense that you get with a lot of those progressive lefty sites. Snippy is a place where everyone is free to express their thoughts and share their opinions, okay? It's totally free to join, open to everyone, so join us at snippy.com and let your opinion matter. No shadow banning and no suppression of conservative thought ever. Now with an updated user interface and exciting new features. Also available in the Apple App Store and for Android, snippy.com, your new alternative social media. You're talking about zero carbon emissions, no use of fossil fuels within 12 years? That is the goal. It's ambitious. And how is that possible? You're talking about everybody having to drive an electric car? It's going to require a lot of rapid change that we don't even conceive as possible right now. That it is absolutely imperative and a life and death issue that we have got to transform our energy system away from fossil fuel to sustainable energy. If you do not, for example, close the refrigerator door quickly, 
you will be letting cold air out into your kitchen area and then there will be necessary electricity to make the cold thing happen in the refrigerator, which is fossil fuels, which do things, environment, Al Gore, presto. That's all I need to say. This is lunacy. This is lunacy. Uh, from Ocasio-Cortez and, and from Bernie Sanders. It's, it's really similar lunacy. And right now, we're being told... Uh, for being told this when it's oh so cold that I said, sure enough, there are people out there, Elizabeth Warren, one of them, people are going to take this approach that, oh, the the temperatures are a function or you know, the temperature of the last few days across the Midwest. And it's because of climate change, because we hit some records in some places. And I said, well, there are other places where we did not hit a record. We did not hit a record because, oh, that's right. The record was hit in the 80s. Or the record was hit, you know, and some other. I mean, this is just, it's silly. It is intellectually unserious, but they keep doing this. They keep saying, oh, if we don't do something dramatic, I'm calling it the great green leap forward. I should probably write an article on that, Mike. I think that would get some attention. You see, when Mao was running China, China was an agrarian, an impoverished agrarian society. A lot of subsistence farming, very, very bad. And, you know, it, when you're talking about the 1950s, you're looking at a country that was in need of some modernization, to be sure. So they figured, all right, let's just push this thing forward. Let's make it happen a lot faster as a function of central government planning. Right. I mean, let's actually make sure that people are doing what the government tells them to do. I mean, this is the, the great leap forward was from 1958 to 1962, right? They were forcing people into the cities, taking them out of the countryside. Well, it led to mass starvation and all kinds of government abuse and very, very bad things. That wasn't initially the plan, but that is what happens. In one of my favorite books on the subject, the the term that is used to describe this is local improvisation. And, and this is just a a corollary really to what we have with our government and the genius of the founding, right? The reason that we have local and then state and then federal, and they're all separate jurisdictions, but also intertwined jurisdictions in a sense. And the reason we have federalism, we have this system of checks and balances, all these things is because we want people to be able to make the most effective decisions for themselves as often as they can and as quickly as they can. And people in a certain township, for example, on that town council, are going to handle town issues better than somebody in Washington, D.C., who just says, yeah, do it this way. And we've seen this time and again in history. When you let the march of progress occurs, especially technological progress, economic progress, when it occurs based upon people that are involved in the thing and can engage in improvisation, oh, baking the cookies this way doesn't work, I'll bake them that way. This is how you get people to make better cookies. When D.C. says make all the cookies the same way or else or else we're going to take away your bakery. That's bad. Right. It was very bad in China. And it led to mass starvation and horrific uh, oppression against the people that tried to push back against it. And this this does not work. You know, people say, oh, but Buck, what about the Manhattan Project and getting the moon? The Manhattan Project wasn't 300 million people all trying to do advanced math problems on a, on a chalkboard. It was a small secret government program 
about a technology that was necessary for military survival. You know, government can do some stuff like that sometimes. They're, they're, they're good at that. But it was not a collective mobilization of the entire country toward the goal of figuring out something incredibly complicated. Would have taken a lot longer if the Manhattan Project had been everybody involved. Uh, yeah, my name is Phil, and I'm from uh, West Philly. And I just want to say that uh, your calculations about fission look a little off to me. And I would prefer if you're going to go toward the splitting of the neutron in that fashion, ego ipso de facto, and I'm done. Right, producer Mike? You would have your buddies. Absolutely. Your buddies would have slowed down the Manhattan yeah. Project if they were involved. I think this is true. My yeah. dad's from West Philly. I've, I've spent some time in West Philly. It's uh. Interesting. I once got held up in West Philly there, at gunpoint. Sounds like you've been in West Philly. I have been. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Lovely this time of year, I'm sure, too. You know, unfortunately, when you're in Philly and there's snow on the ground, they don't play like a Rocky montage behind you all the time. You know, you don't. You, you, it, it's maybe better if you're wearing like a sweatsuit and you're working out and stuff. But for the most part, not really a place I want to be. But all right. So but back to the, the great green leap forward. Think about how expensive everything is going to be when everything is more expensive. That's the way to really put this into context. Think about what it would mean because you know, Ocasio-Cortez, and this is, this is why we don't have real journalists because they would ask questions like, okay, you want a, a massive green energy plan. What, roughly what percentage of gasoline is expended, in the tra- is expended by cars and the transportation industry versus in actual products? I bet she would have no idea whatsoever. Absolutely none. The answer is about half. And we think of it, oh, it's just going to affect you at the pump, the price of gas. That's not true. It's not just the price of gas, which also affects the price of products because of the transportation side of the equation. It's also fossil fuels that are used in products. Products, my friends. Things, the very things itself that you buy or themselves that you buy. And that's that's all going to go up and be much more expensive. And remember, you wouldn't be doing this. You wouldn't be paying all this money for something that is good and tangible and real. You would be paying this money so that you could deal with climate change, which anybody who pays attention knows they're wrong about uh, over and over again. And this is so that you can stop there from being more CO2 in the air. Point zero four percent of the Earth's atmosphere is carbon dioxide. So we're going to spend trillions of dollars, put massive brakes on the economy, and do all of this so that 0.04% of the carbon dioxide uh, will be adjusted maybe 20% over the next 20 years. Normal people don't think this way. But the good news is the American people are getting to see the extent of the radicalism of the left from people like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders, people who have have knowledge of neither science nor economics, but they know how to push people's buttons. They know how to sound like they care and that they're going to take on the big bullies and the mean capitalists that are the reason that they say the reason that, you know, things are getting more expensive for you. The reality is they're also the reason that this country and the people living it right now are so incredibly wealthy that if you told someone from 100 years ago this is where we'd be, they wouldn't believe you. But that requires some some perspective, which the left does not have.
If you're running a business, large or small, you've got to have background checks done on the people that you're hiring and bringing in, right? It's important. There's liability issues. And you also want to make sure that you can trust the people around you. That's why you need to trust Global Verification Network. Global Verification Network is the only dual certified and veteran owned background investigation and vetting company. So when you use Global Verification Network, you are supporting a veteran owned and operated company and you're working with people that I know and trust and I know they'll do the best for you. Call them. See what kind of a program they can set up for you. Large company, small company. If you're in an HR department or if you're a sole proprietor of a, or, or a proprietor of a small business, these are the people that you want to go and talk to about background checks or vetting for any of the deals you're working on. Call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. Or go to mygvn.com. Make sure they know that uh, you're part of Team Buck. You are now entering the Freedom Hunt Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. We provided Russia an ample window of time to mend its ways and for Russia to honor its commitment. Tomorrow that time runs out. Russia has refused to take any steps to return real and verifiable compliance over these 60 days. The United States will therefore suspend its obligations under the INF Treaty, effective February 2nd. Russia has jeopardized the United States security interest, and we can no longer be restricted by the treaty while Russia shamelessly violates it. If Russia does not return to full and verifiable compliance with the <coughs> treaty within this six-month period by verifiably destroying its INF-violating missiles, their launchers, and associated equipment, the treaty will terminate. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announced earlier today that the U.S. is suspending the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, which is an important part of European nuclear security since the Cold War. This seems like kind of a big deal. What does it mean and what does it tell us about Trump's relationship with Russia? Brought on somebody who answers this and oh so much more. Rebecca Heinrichs is in the house she is a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and a missile super expert. Rebecca, thanks for calling in. I'm so happy to do it. Thanks for having me. All right. So what is the just before we get into the the what comes next? Tell us what's come before here a little bit. The Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. What is it? Is it a big deal? Why should people care? Sure. Well, at the end of the Cold War, this is one of those um, treaties. People think of it as it, it is. uh a major Cold War treaty, and what it does is it abolished the possession, the, the, the testing, and the deployment of a whole category of missiles, ground-launch cruise missiles. So um, these are missiles that can range Europe, and uh, we, we removed ours from Europe, the European theater, the Russians, or the Soviet Union at the time, um, got rid of theirs. And the reason that we uh, don't like them. The reason that we thought that they were destabilizing at the time is because these particular kind of missiles are, they're shorter range so that they, the person who is in range of them, these countries who are in range of them, have much shorter decision time if Russia decides to launch one. Um, they had many, many of the of these particular type of missiles. And so we, the, Ronald Reagan negotiated this treaty and we abolished and successfully removed this particular range of missiles from the European theater. Um, now, since then, though, Russia has been cheating. 
they have not only been testing this particular type of missile, but now they are deploying several battalions of this particular missile. The Obama administration knew they were doing, couldn't get Russia to comply, but we're still bound by the treaty. And so now the Trump administration tried for a couple of years to get Russia to come back into compliance with the treaty. And rather than do that, they've just gone the other direction and continue to deploy more of them. So the Trump administration announced today that we are not going to be suckers to use the president. You know, president um, has said that in the past. We're not going to be suckers anymore. This is a perfect example of that. And so we are we have announced that in six months, if Russia is no longer complying with the treaty, then then we are out of the treaty. The treaty has gone. So we'll be out of this treaty. What what's the concern? Right. Because people anytime you talk about pulling out of a nuclear treaty, you're telling me that Russia is cheating. We've been know we've known for a while that Russia is cheating. So why wouldn't we want to pull out of the treaty? I'm, I'm sure there yeah. must be some. You know, if Trump is doing it, it has to be bad. There are a lot of people out there that that will think that. And and so what are they going to say? This is destabilizing. This is Trump pushing us to nuclear war. So the arguments, so the arguments uh, for those who, so I, I support this. I support this. I think that, you know, for too long, the United States has thought that we call it arms control. These are the treaties we have with other countries that constrain those parties to the treaties from what they can deploy, things that they can possess, different types of missiles they can possess, and warhead numbers, et cetera. And, and a lot of people who have a lot of confidence in these agreements think that these, by having these treaties that the world is safer and more stabilizing. But, but both parties have to abide by them. Otherwise, it just constrains the United States, just ties our hands, and doesn't constrain theirs. So I think it makes a load of sense to get out of treaties in which the United States no, we, we abide by treaties like Boy Scouts because we're Americans. It's how we do it. Countries like Russia just try to cheat. They cheat on the margins. They cheat outright sometimes. And then the United States continues to try to, to get them to comply. So the fear is here for those who think we should be party to this treaty or, or to continue to try to get the Russians to comply and stay in the treaty. They fear that there's going to be an arms race if we get out of the treaty. Um, but my argument to that is, but the Russians are already doing it. The Russians are already developing and deploying these missiles. So we're not going to incentivize them to do the thing that they're already doing. It just now gives us the option to, one, perhaps, uh, you know, deploy these things back in the European theater if we believe that that's what we need to deter Russia, or perhaps in the Asian theater because the Chinese have never been party to this treaty. And if, uh, if the Chinese were party to the treaty, more than 90% of their entire missile force would be in violation of it. It's basically like their entire missile force as INF non-compliant missiles if they were party to the treaty. And so this gives the United States an option now to look at different theaters and say, hey, maybe we might want to invest in this particular weapon system again. Also, politics, right? There are going to be people that look at this through that lens. Here's what Kellyanne Conway had to say after the announcement came out today. Yeah, well, he's been tough on Russia for a while, and I'd like to see how they're going to spin this one. Um, this is a this is a president who has put additional sanctions on Russians, on bad actors, where he and his Treasury Department have seen fit. He's expelled 60-plus Russians from this country, shut down two of their consulates at last count, and I think pushed back on Putin not once but twice when uh, one of his puppets, Assad in Syria, gassed his, his own people. When the president uh, saw that, he took action immediately. People have to start looking at the facts and the figures about how tough okay. this president has been on Russia. At the same time, trying to negotiate peace where he can and, and big resolve by two major countries where it's appropriate. 
what do you make of of this? I mean, we, we always hear from at least some of the media that Trump is not just soft on Russia, but he's Putin's puppet. People actually say this kind of stuff. And yet you just heard that recitation of different facts from Kellyanne Conway. I could throw a few others in there, too, that she left off. Uh-huh. What do you make of it? I think that Kellyanne Conway is exactly right. Listen, I, I've been watching. I do nuclear deterrence. I've been, you know, that's kind of my main area of specialty. I focus on U.S.-Russia relations, U.S.-China relations, because these are the great powers that have a lot of nuclear weapons. So this is an area that I've focused on for many years. And a lot of people have asked me, Rebecca, aren't you worried about Trump? Aren't you worried that the Russians have something on Trump that could harm U.S. security? And I have said since the since he was the Republican nominee, and, you know, and, and since then, I'm going to be able to tell if there's something on Trump by the way he conducts U.S. foreign policy vis-a-vis Russia. And and Kellyanne Conway is exactly right. This administration has been far tougher as a matter of policy on Russia in doing what the United States needs to do, not looking to aggravate Russia, but to look to but to pursue U.S. interests, regardless of if the Russians complain about what the thing is that we're doing. And, and I support presidents trying to look for opportunities to extend an open hand to Russia where we can get along with them, because what we don't want to happen is a, an alliance between Russia and China. If we can find opportunities to cooperate with the Russians so that we can counter um, a rising China, then we should do that. If we can find counterterrorism opportunities to work together, we should do that. And we should pursue our interests like like the INF Treaty, for instance. If, if they're not going to comply, then we don't need, we shouldn't be party to that treaty. So. Kellyanne Conway is exactly right. And and you can see now the same people who accuse President Trump of being an agent of the Russian government are pretty quiet now when it comes to the INF Treaty, or they're saying, oh, no, you're going to aggravate Putin. You know, they're kind of all over the board on this. So uh, President Trump does not get enough credit for, for leading an American foreign policy that's good for the United States and tough when the Rus- tough on Russia when the Russians need, need, need it. And um, it's far tougher than the Obama administration was by far. Rebecca Heinrichs, everybody. Hudson Institute Senior Fellow. Go to Hudson, uh, HudsonInstitute.org. Check out her latest research there, and you'll see her on Fox News. Rebecca, great to have you on. Thanks so much. Have a good weekend. Thanks, Doc. You too. We'll be right back, team. Hey, Team Buck. It's time for Roll Call. And I didn't pick the I didn't pick the best weather for NYC, John. It's a little a little bit chilly up in here. Not exactly what I had in mind, but it was worse yesterday. It was yeah, it was I DC yesterday was painful to walk around outside, but then again, it wasn't like Chicago, where, from what I understand, people were throwing buckets of water up in the air and they would turn to icicles or whatever. Not icicles, but, you know, snow. Yeah, snow. There you go. They turned it, That's right. They would turn to snow, not icicles, Buck. Get it together, Sexton. I am happy that it'll be up in New York City, hometown, even when it's congested and freezing and there's a lot of sludge and snow and the snow is yellow in a lot of places you know that's special new york snow that's the special new york snow you know what i mean you're like oh look at that we have multicolored snow here in new york city 
There's no place like home, right, Buck? But I do, I do miss it. Yeah, man. There's, there's no place. There's definitely no place like home. Is it, is it the best place? That's a whole other conversation. All righty, Jeremy. First up on Facebook, we're going to double the Facebook this weekend. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. That's the way to do it. We can double that action. Here's what Jeremy says. Uh, Buck, it has been a while, but wanted to say that your monologue on the state of the U.S.'s military was well done. We have fallen into a mindset that war in the Middle East is the norm and will never change. It's great to hear someone on the right who calls into question our world military presence and I hope more people will listen. Shields high, Jeremy. Well, Jeremy, I, I hope that your hope comes true. I mean, I, I think that there's plenty of reason and, and there's lots of evidence to support the idea that we probably should not uh, continue to do what we're doing. I mean, I've been saying for a long time, what we're doing in Afghanistan is not going to work. It's not going to work. OK, so we can talk a lot about how, oh, we'll do that. You know, I, I've been saying for how many years on this show that the strategy is the same strategy. I mean, you have the same strategy and the same, if not worse, factors aligned against the strategy. Your prospects for success are dim. And that is the truth of the, uh, the mission in Afghanistan, trying to leave a presence there to hold it all together. That all sounds fine. People say to me, oh, Buck, but we don't have to. We're not doing a lot of the frontline fighting. That's the Taliban. That's Afghanistan. I mean, uh, that's the Afghan National Army and the Taliban. Uh, that's up to them. And to that I just say that's all true until things get really bad. You know, remember that your your presence of four or five thousand soldiers becomes a, a much bigger issue when the bad guys are making a run on the capital of the country. You know, when, when the bad guys start threatening to massacre a whole division of the allies that your soldiers. So, you know, if we have 4,000 Americans spread around a few bases, let's say, I think it's more like 9,000 Afghanistan. Let's say it's, let's say it's 10,000. You got 10,000 Americans spread around Afghanistan. Okay. What happens when you see an Afghan army division completely encircled by Taliban in Helmand province? Okay. Yeah, sure. We'll deploy air assets. What if that's not enough? Then we're going to send our guys in. What if the Taliban has 20,000? Now we're going to do what? You see, all of a sudden, you you get pushed into the, well, we better do a lot more or else our soldiers are going to be under real threat. And that's that's where this starts to become, I think, a, a very big problem very quickly. Um, all right, Mike. What up, Mike? Mike writes, Buck, any thoughts on the peace negotiations in Afghanistan with the Taliban? In the era of Trump, it's hard to get news on something like that. Thanks. Shields high. Well, Mike, I was just kind of, turns out I was just kind of talking about it. Um, you know, I, I think that here's the reality. There's very little reason to believe that whatever deal that we have with the Taliban will be respected for any length of time by the Taliban. They will. They'll adhere to the deal until it's no longer in their interest to do so. The Taliban has no honor. There, there's no agreement. There's no agreement that they can sign with us that we should expect them to maintain. So that's what I've got for you on that. I mean, it's unfortunate, but true. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't leave. Staying forever is not a good idea. And I was just explaining why. You'll hear a lot of conservatives say, oh, it's just a maintenance presence. No, Afghanistan is an active combat zone. It's not South Korea. It's not Germany. It's not 
you know, Guam. This is a place where you could have a, a division level military engagement that would require a much larger scale of U.S. military support. And that's how mission creep happens. That's how these things occur. All right. Let's see here. Um, Mark writes, Buck, could you please explain why the left hates rich people that were made rich by the left that hates them by purchasing the products from them that made them rich? Yet they love the leftist rich politicians that they made rich for voting them. I understand the left thinks tax money disappears out of nowhere, but are they that dumb? Uh, Mark, yeah. I'm just going to go with yeah on that one. We ran around in a little bit of a circle there, but I think I know what you're going for. Tara. Hey, Buck. Love the show as always. Do you know whatever happened to the MAGA bomber? Keep up the great work. Shield side. Tara, you know, I will tell you, I have actually not seen any follow-up stories of any kind about the MAGA bomber. I am not familiar with uh, what the latest information is on him. I'm assuming you mean the guy who was in the MAGA mobile in Florida who was sending pipe bombs. I always wanted to know if, if those pipe bombs were uh, if those pipe bombs were active devices or if they were dummy devices. I, I, I know there was some reporting that said that they were lethal devices, but I'm curious when they pulled them apart what the, what the reality was. Uh, Jerry, someone at work asked the question about late-term abortions. Is this a new method for harvesting stem cells? Just wondering if you have insight. Jerry, I don't think it's a new method for harvesting stem cells, although what we saw from the undercover Planned Parenthood videos taken by the uh, Center for Medical Progress, David DeLayden uh, and his group, is that they do sell the uh, soon to uh, the, what would be otherwise discarded tissue they do sell it uh, for, they're not supposed to sell it for a profit, but they do. So that, that there is a financial incentive in the abortion industry, and we would be uh, fooling ourselves if we were not aware of it. Bruce, my man, Bruce, your opening monologue on the podcast for January 30th made me tear up. How in the hell are Democrats so evil in America so okay, so okay with this? Just want to put my hands on, uh, my head in the sand sometimes and give up. Well, Bruce, I appreciate that you uh, also feel the the passion for the topic and the subject matter that I do. And you know, I've I've gotten a little teary out on this show more than once, so it definitely happens. And uh, in terms of where the Democrats are on this, you know, I saw a Washington Post reporter say that he considered this to be a local news story. And to that, I just would respond. um, It's not a local news story when two of the most major states in the United States are legalizing what is clearly infanticide, even if and this is an important an important part of all this, even if what could happen never does happen, which is not the case. But if just for the sake of argument, even if they were saying that nobody would uh, kill a baby that was being born under these laws in New York and, and in Virginia, the fact that it would, in theory, be legal is grotesquely immoral and says very bad uh, things about the state of, well, the state of ethics in this country, the state of the law in this country. Uh, Al right. Bonfire of progressive lunacy, quote, nice. Thanks, Al. 
I try to go for the rhetorical flourishes sometimes, you know, try to make sure that everybody who listens to the show gets, uh, they get, well, I was going to say get their money's worth, but the show is free. So I guess get their time's worth. There you go. Try to make sure you get your time's worth, which is an important thing. John writes, Buck, huge fan. I want to see another shutdown. Because if they see it's going to happen again, and if it lasts way longer, it will scare the Dem base because they saw what happened before. I don't want it to happen again, and I believe the Dem base will force Pelosi's hand. I don't know, John. Pelosi is, uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of criticism I have of her, but Pelosi's pretty hardcore. And she will stick, she will stick to her side of things no matter, I think, how much the heat gets turned up because she gets reelected no matter what. Remember that. There, there is no... There is no sanity check on Nancy Pelosi because her district is full of a bunch of maniacs. So there's that. Um, As to whether a shutdown would accomplish. No, I I think Democrats would be even more emboldened in a second shutdown to do what they've done. Even though what we see is that Pelosi said, hey, open the government up and we will negotiate and we'll talk about fixing the wall. And then then Trump opens up the government and they say, sorry, no funding for a wall. Full stop. Period. Nothing else. I just think that's that's uh, telling us a lot about her, but unfortunately, it won't really, won't really matter. Robert writes, Buck, as much as I hate to agree with Rachel Maddow, she isn't entirely incorrect when she suggests that a foreign power like China or Russia could take out part or all of the power grid. A local hacker could do damage. They don't do it because we view it as the equivalent of a nuclear uh, or the near equivalent of a nuclear attack. Uh, Robert, I'm not saying that it couldn't happen. I'm just saying it's part of the the only reason the MSNBC audience. And remember, Rachel Maddow is trying to every night give the MSNBC audience what they want. That's her job. Her job is to give the left wing loons who watch that show what they want. Tell them what they want to hear. You know, show them what they want to see. That's the whole point of it. And the reason that Russia is high up on their, uh, you know, in terms of interest level here. The reason they like Russia is because Russia has turned into the left has turned it into the number one boogeyman for the United States now because they gave Trump the election. That's that's what this is really all about. So I think that that's uh, that's why I was pointing to the Russia thing. Yes, technically, they could take down the power grid. But do you think the left really worries about that as a general national security issue? No, it's just Russia. Scary. That's all they want to say. That's what it is. That's what it is really about. So a uh, quick pause here, team. We're going to come right back, finish up the roll call, some thoughts for the weekend. It's going to be an extravaganza of awesome. John looks so excited. I don't even know what to say because he knows he's got a weekend coming up. Any fun weekend plans, John? Just chilling? When, it, when it's snowy and cold like this outside, you know what the good news is? You stay in. You can Netflix and, ch- and, and hang out. And uh, my bad. I, I, I got that wrong once before. Netflix and hang out is okay. You can Netflix and hang out and and eat some, you know, mac and cheese, man. Dude, frozen mac and cheese. So good. So I want to have some right now. We'll be right back. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party. Because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Back into it, my friends. Let's get to it, my dudes. Uh, 
Here we go. More roll call. Get it going before the weekend because everybody's working for that weekend. Yeah. Um, Chris, can you tell me more about yourself? I went to Connecticut College. Okay, Chris. Uh, I was born and raised in New York City in Manhattan. I uh, went to Regis High School, which is a Jesuit school here in the city. Then I went to Amherst College. Then I got recruited by the CIA. I worked in the CIA from 2005 to 2010. Worked the NYPD Intelligence Division for part of 2011. Went to the Blaze to work for Glenn Beck in 20, midway through 2011. And stayed there for about six years. Then got a job at Premier Radio Networks, blah, blah. A lot of radio, a lot of TV, Fox News. Wrote a bunch of articles. Uh Owned some libs on Twitter, and uh, now here we are. Got a girlfriend named Miss Molly and a nice family here in the city. And uh, I got a, uh, yeah, a French bulldog named Tallulah. It's really my parents' French bulldog, but we all share her because she's a little love bug. And uh, that's pretty much it, man. That's covers it. We got, we got producer Mike and DJ John in the house, making sure the show sounds good, does what it does. So I think you know everything now, man. See, that's there you go. You can put that in your pipe and smoke it. Thanks for asking. If you're a Connecticut college, you're a small liberal arts college guy. Hopefully you're not getting too inundated with crazy libs. Crazy libs. Because there's a lot of crazy libs running around. Uh, Tia writes, Buck, regarding schools being closed due to cold, I'm all for it. When the temp is minus 20 in Kentucky, which isn't used to those extremes, people aren't equipped in short notice to deal with it. For example, waiting at a bus stop in those temps, you would probably need a ski mask to cover your whole face. I live in Virginia and haven't seen ski masks in stores since the 1970s, which, by the way, is when running shoes came to stores in 1973, we were still wearing Keds to gym class. A lot of information in there. Uh, Yeah, really cold weather can be tough. I'm, I'm not saying it's not. I get that. Tim. What up, Tim? Uh, Did you see this AOC sketch on SNL? No, I did not, Tim. But you know what? I will. I will check it out. Maybe it was actually funny. That sounds like something that maybe Saturday Night Live should try to do more often. Be funny instead of being woke, being social justice warriors. Uh, David writes, Buck, Michael Savage was onto something, border language and culture. Also, liberalism is a mental disorder. I couldn't agree more these days. You know, I've listened to, I've never listened to a Michael Savage show, and I've only heard a few excerpts of some monologues he's done. I've, I, he's probably the, the host that I know, the, the national level radio host that I know the least about. But if you say he's got something good, um, I'll be sure to check it out. Uh, isn't he retiring? I thought it, somebody told me he retired. Spencer. Uh, Buck uh, finally p- popped up. It took all day today to get Monday's podcast. Shields high, brother. I know, Spencer. I'm sorry, man. We're trying to fix it as best we can, as fast as we can. We're working on it. Uh, I think we should be in better shape now. A lot more notes in here about the podcast not being up. But we're on it. We're on it. All right, everybody, stay warm this weekend. Make sure that you uh, snuggle up with a loved one and hang out and watch a good movie. I will talk to you on Monday. Shields high. If you're in a relationship, there are some important dates that require roses, birthdays, anniversaries, and 
Valentine's. And guess what? Valentine's is right around the corner. So when you're trying to get the most beautiful, biggest, best quality roses possible, you have to check out my friends at 1-800-Flowers.com. They've got an amazing deal right now. 18 red roses for $29.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. This is an unbelievable offer from 1-800-Flowers. 18 red roses for $29.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses, only 10 bucks more. These bouquet prices are going to be going up soon, so you need to take advantage of them today. Pick your delivery date and let 1-800-Flowers handle the rest. It's so easy. I've done it. You should, too. To order 18 red roses for $29.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses, only 10 bucks more, go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon, enter promo code BUCK. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, click radio icon, promo code BUCK.